Whether you need to restock the fridge or just have a sudden, intense craving for cheese puffs, Kroger Delivery will get you just what you need in as little as 30 minutes. From groceries to household items, Kroger delivers right to your door. So don't let one major craving have you reaching for your car keys. Open the Kroger app and start your cart, whatever the cart. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Delivery times not guaranteed. Restrictions may apply. See site for details. You already know the fun of King's Island. Blue ice cream for lunch, catching your breath between screams on the beast. But this summer at King's Island, this is 50. Don't miss their 50th anniversary celebration all summer long with new shows, new food, and new fun. It's King's Island's biggest summer yet. And now through August 14th, King's Island is turning up the excitement with a daily 50 years of fun street party. It features dancers, music, and more commemorating the last 50 years. Make plans today at visitkingsisland.com. Hello there, welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. We are going to be covering a few stories this week for you. We shall be covering what are known as sporting disasters or sporting tragedies. And this covers a variety of sports with a variety of stories. Some of these are going to be a little bit hard for you guys to listen to. They do involve uh, death some of them do involve certain aspects that uh you know could bring back memories for certain certain fans because you know some of these tragedies happened recently enough for potentially some of my listeners to have either witnessed or even worse case scenario even been at the events so it's uh this could be quite a hard hard listen for you guys um, but before we get into that, I would just like to uh, to say thank you to you guys uh, yet again for your your uh, basically your unbridled support with with us at this time. Um, you know, you guys have been absolutely fantastic. Um, I've had a few emails from some of you guys. Um, I've actually had uh, an email from a gentleman named Eric regarding the Edmund Fitzgerald. Um, which is one of my earlier episodes where I gave my personal opinion as to how the Fitzgerald sank. Now, he's actually replied to me basically saying that a oceanographer under the name Jack Costeau actually investigated this and turns out my theory was actually correct. So, for those of you who haven't listened to that, bearing in mind I didn't actually know that at the time, it was just a my opinion let's say and uh, turns out apparently I was correct so that's that's nice to hear um he's also said that uh, I'm being listened to by uh, a gentleman under the name John Meacham who apparently is a historian as well so I I do like that I do like the fact that um there are other historians listening not just history fans so hopefully you know I'm not coming across as too simple-minded which is uh how I, i've felt i've come across 
in in some episodes that they have come across a little bit um a little bit simple in the way I, I've explained things so obviously I'm not coming across like that because uh you know you guys are still listening and you're still you're still out there paying attention to me so I'm very happy with that um I have actually had uh, a review from a gentleman named Paul uh, a five star review uh, what I love about your show is hearing the British side of you. Uh, many of the stories I have heard uh, have been in the state, put a state spin on. Plus, I love you speaking. It's easily understood words. Keep up the great work. So, five star review there. So, thank you very much, Paul. Uh, for those of you who are on the Facebook group, I'm pretty sure you'll be aware of Paul. He, uh, he does comment quite quite regularly. So, uh, thank you for that. Um. I will give you a quick shout out. We have actually uploaded our first Patreon episode. That is the early lives, or the early life, sorry, not early lives, the early life of Winston Churchill. So, for those of you who are interested, uh, this will probably be a three, possibly a four-part episode that will be going going online. The first part of that is now up. Now, if you are interested, get yourselves on Patreon. It's $2 a month. Uh, you can put in as much as you want, um, but the starting is $2 a month, and that will get you access to those extra shows. Um, we're going to hopefully um, be uploading uh, two of those a month, uh, along with two of these episodes a month. So hopefully I should be getting getting two episodes out every week, one on Patreon and one through iTunes and other applications. So for those of you who are quite happy listening to to these stories, then please feel free. Please feel free to leave me a review as well. I'll quite happily give you a shout out. Um, and if you do have any queries, any questions, anything like that, feel free to, to contact me. Like I said, there, there have had a few emails from guys, um, a few messages on Facebook. We are on Facebook, which is This Week in History. Um, and the email address is twihpod at gmail.com so feel free to contact me on either of those uh, the reason we didn't play the game this week guys is because like I said it, we are covering a more than one story I thought it was probably not not going to be a, a great one to upload sort of four or five different images um, so we will play that again uh, in the next couple of weeks um, thank you for bearing with me I know it has been a couple of weeks getting this podcast out Obviously, I'm sure you're all aware, uh, I live at home, I've got a wife and three children, so trying to find time where the house is quiet enough to actually record, along with working full-time, is, is not, not that easy at the moment, because obviously the kids are off school and things like that, so um, thanks for bearing with me, and without further ado, we shall cover our first tragedy. Now... This is more commonly known as the Busby Babes disaster. For those of you who don't know, uh, this is regarding Matt Busby, the uh, Manchester United football manager in 1958. So the Busby Babes were actually, and an the name given to the group of footballers or the Manchester United players um, at that time. These guys were pretty much the the youngest and the most gifted players Manchester United had and to to a certain extent um that that England had you know some of these guys were a shoe in for the the England national team they were some of the the best footballers on the planet 
and the the team was actually on a, a return from a European Cup match in Belgrade, which is in Yugoslavia, uh, where they'd actually defeated uh, a team called Red Star Belgrade, and they Manchester United had advanced themselves to the semi-finals of, of the the European Cup, and the flight that they were on uh, stopped in Munich to refuel. Uh, this was basically due to the the type of aircraft and things like that. At this this time in history, a, a flight from Munich to Belgrade in in the aircraft that they were in just uh, sorry not Munich to Belgrade from Manchester to Belgrade just wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have made the flight. So they had to stop in Munich to refuel, and after refueling, the pilots uh, James Thane and Kenneth Raymond uh, they twice uh, abandoned the takeoff uh, because of problems from the left engine and they feared that um, they wouldn't get wouldn't get very far um, however they rejected to stay overnight in Munich and uh, decided a third a third time to attempt to take off um, at this point the the snow on the runway had, had sort of turned into a into a slush at the end of the runway and Basically, when when the aeroplane hit that slush, the the aircraft ploughed through the fence on the runway, and uh, the wing was torn off. It hit a house, and the they you know they thought the aircraft was going to explode. The plane had skidded, crashed into uh, a tree. The cockpit hit a tree. Uh, part of the plane's tail was torn off. Um, the right side of the fuselage hit a wooden hut. The truck was filled with tires and fuel, and and it did. It exploded. It 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 caused a, a massive fireball, and the flames around the cockpit. And it, basically, it was a an absolute calamity of of errors that that caused it. Um, obviously, the the fact that the plane had just been refueled, the the, the explosion, the fire. Um, it actually ended up killing um, a lot of the men on board, and this is why we we know it as 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 a, a sporting tragedy. You know, there were twenty three that died on the aircraft, and there were only thirty eight passengers on the plane and six crew. So there was only twenty one survivors from this from this crash. And you know, out out of the the twenty twenty three people that that died, eight of them were Manchester United players uh, and this is you know this is why it's quite a, and it is still I mean it's still quite a big thing in Manchester you know they you're talking eight of the greatest players of their generation were were killed in a, in a plane crash that um, you know was potentially avoidable the, the fact that they they attempted twice to take off and then and then still you know, failed and then and then attempted a third a third time. It it sort of it does ring quite quite poignant around Manchester. You know, they they still remember the Busby Babes. You know, Manchester United fans will still uh, will still sing about it. They still you know they still have that that pride from from what happened. You know, like I said, eight of their players died. There were also two of their players that were injured that badly in this plane crash that they they never played again. So. You know, really, this this took ten ten players from from you know from the best team in the world at the time. They just won uh, a European match. You know, these these guys were shoe ins for the national team. They were 
they were fantastic players for their generation and you know like I said 10 of them careers were ended either by death or by injury and this is why you know especially in Britain the, the Busby babes are are very very well known you know that there, there's a lot a lot more detail I can go into it you could even do an entire episode on this just purely on you know the the, the stories behind each player and, and things like that but obviously for this episode we're giving brief brief overviews of of sporting tragedies the next tragedy we're going to cover we're going to move away from uh what you what you'd known as team sport so we're, we're going to move to the 1972 uh olympics in munich which is known as the munich massacre where the 11 israeli athletes were were murdered by palestinian terrorists at the olympics now you might think that you know that the the hostilities between the two countries you know is is world worldwide it's it's well known um i point blank again refuse to give any opinion either way on israel and and palestine so please don't try and get me into that sort of debate but um this this was a, an an open goal really um for the terrorists due due to the fact that you know at this time you're talking about the first olympics germany had hosted since uh, 1936 um so germany was making a point a political point of having a peaceful olympics they they cut down on security they cut down on armed staff armed police officers and really gave an an opportunity to terrorism at this this event because you know germany has always been seen as the the aggressor in europe for and, and they were trying to step away from that you know just to just so you rem- you know you remember that this is you know less than 30 years after the holocaust and it's uh it's a big a big thing for for the Jewish community and for Israel to even attend the Olympics and to to stand Munich was you know 15 miles away from the first ever concentration camp in Dachau was a few a few miles from Munich and it it goes to show the resilience of of the Jewish people to to stand there and and wave the Israeli flag in in Munich and you know just to to be there in in a situation where you know, even potentially, some of their athletes had had lost family members during the Holocaust. At 4:30 a.m. on September the 5th, 1972, uh, eight Palestinian terrorists dressed uh, in tracksuits to to blend in jumped the fences into the Israeli team complex where where they were staying, and uh, two two Israeli athletes started to to fight them off. They were straight away murdered, and uh, the other nine were were taken hostage. So, with these um, Israeli competitors being taken as hostage, the uh, the demands from the terrorists were that Israel was to release two hundred and thirty Palestinian prisoners in Israel. Obviously, um, that didn't happen. They Israel refused to negotiate with terrorists and uh, Germany was 
forced to shut down the Olympics 10 hours into the, the main events. When they did that, the German police attempted to take back, you know, to, to attack and to, to take back the hostages and and kill the terrorists. Problem was, they, uh, you can see the footage on it, it's hilarious, but not obviously the, 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 uh, the aftermath, but the, the fact that they thought it was a good idea to the police, armed police, to actually try and enter a building broadcast on live TV. So so these terrorists were well aware of the, the police attempt because there was hundreds of television crews filming these police trying to climb over balconies to get into the terrorists. So the terrorists then made new demands where they wanted the them and the hostages to be flown to Egypt where it was safe and Germany reluctantly but agreed and uh, put them in a helicopter to take them to the airport where they were planning on taking further action when they got to the airport so when these terrorists had landed at the airport the the plan backfired basically and uh, the Germans when when the terrorists had, had left the helicopter run onto the plane and uh, the plane was empty and they realised what was happening and they ran back to the helicopter where the Germans decided to engage in a gunfight with the terrorists the terrorists were slightly better gunned slightly better trained uh, one of them threw a grenade into the helicopter which exploded uh, leaving only four Israelis alive and they were then gunned down after that so that's how the 1972 Munich Olympics will will always be remembered not for the medals or anything like that but it will be, be remembered for 11 innocent Israeli athletes who were just needlessly murdered for, for no reason whatsoever the next uh, tragedy we're gonna gonna cover is is probably one that this is definitely one I remember, um, and probably most of my listeners will remember this. Uh, and this is April the fifteenth, two thousand and thirteen, and that is the Boston Marathon, where two homemade devices were detonated uh, fourteen seconds apart um, and two hundred and ten yards apart. Uh, near the finish line of the race killing three people uh, and injuring hundreds absolutely hundreds Uh, 16 of these people actually lost limbs so uh, that is the the Boston Marathon uh, where I mean scarily enough you you can still see the videos of of this and it is quite a scary uh, quite a scary video to watch to be fair um it was actually a terrorist attack that was was done by two brothers um one was named Jokar uh, and the other one was Tamalan uh Sarnev their their surname Sarnev um and they uh one of them was was actually killed um during the the Manhunt for these two men afterwards. Uh, this was uh, Tamalan. He was he was actually killed um, once the police had, had caught him. He he was found and gunned down. Um, and the other the other man was was uh, 
arrested and and sentenced to death. So, uh, I mean, we don't have the death penalty in this country. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure on on my opinion on that. I I think there are definitely cases that warrant a death penalty. Uh, this is definitely one of them. Um, I do think there there are there are times where I do think the wrong person is killed. I do think there are times where potentially the the the, the thought of life imprisonment could actually be worse than than the death penalty. But um, for this for this man, he deserves nothing nothing but the death penalty. Uh, you know that it's a it's a horrible video to watch, and you know you can see the fear in in the runners. I mean, this is right at the finish line, where you know people have just done an amazing achievement. I mean, I'll never ever run a marathon. I'll never be able to do it. And these guys have done something absolutely amazing, and. You know, to to get to that finish line, I think it was four hours and nine minutes, so nearly four hours and ten minutes, and they cross that line, and the explosion goes off, and then in the the ensuing panic, uh, you know, ten to twelve seconds later, another one goes off as well, and you can you can see the panic and the fear in in people's eyes, and you know, it, it's a a horrible situation to to be in, and and I think at a sporting event as well uh, an, an event that's broadcast normally broadcast all over the world certainly broadcast live uh, many multimedia and social media accounts uh, will have been videoing at the same time there are many many videos you can actually get of this um, from different angles and, and it's uh, you know it doesn't look any better no matter what angle you're at it's a it's a very horrible video to watch and uh, you know it's uh, hopefully something that that never happens again and for the the actual runners and for the people who people of Boston um, you know it's not it's not something uh, I think they ever want to ever forget and certainly not something they ever want to to remember I suppose it's one of them horrible things that you're never going to forget it but it's not something you actually want on your mind um you know there is a a fantastic film out with Mark Wahlberg uh, on Netflix which is called Patriot's Day uh brilliant film very very good film um and that again that that covers most of the the story it's not like I said it's not something I'm going to go into huge detail on because uh the the last um item that I want to cover uh is is a tragedy that has affected many many people in in my country in in Britain um it has changed the way we look at football it's changed the way we look at our police it's changed the way we look at our court systems it's changed the way we look at our media um and it is a almost a a, a an ongoing case that's been going on for 31 years uh, in this country and it's not something that I felt I could cover in a full episode and do it uh, do it justice I, I thought it was something that I could I could cover incorporated with other things and for most of you who are listening I'm sure you already know that I am talking of the tragedy at Hillsborough oh, 
The Hillsborough disaster was the 15th of April 1989 and this is a disaster where 96 Liverpool fans lost their lives and the you ha- I I feel for this that I have to be very careful with this story um due to the fact that it's uh, it's very very sensitive subjects in this country and very poignant to many Liverpool fans and very important to a lot of fans I think all over the country I don't think it's uh, specific to Liverpool fans anymore um I think the, the I'll talk you through the events basically the game was between Liverpool and Nottingham Forest and it was an FA Cup match that was being played at Sheffield Wednesday's ground which was Hillsborough a stadium with a capacity at the time of 54,000 and all tickets to the game were sold out there was not a single ticket left Liverpool were given the the west side of the ground uh, known as the Leppings Lane end uh, with 24,000 tickets whereas Nottingham Forest were given the other side of the ground with 29,000 tickets now this surprised me straight away because from my experience Liverpool are a bigger club and uh to see that they were given a, a lower capacity and a smaller side to the ground I thought that was a little bit strange for me personally that you would have thought the bigger club with the more fans would have been given the bigger side to the ground the side of the Leppings Lane end which was behind the goal which is the important point of this this story there were 10,100 Liverpool fans that were in that end where it was known as the, the standing end. Um, this was back in the day where you could stand at football games. The problem you have is 10,000 fans and they only had seven turnstiles to receive 10,000 fans. Now, it wasn't that they only had seven turnstiles it was there were only seven turnstiles open so i don't know why there were only seven turnstiles open um i can't answer that but to get 10,000 people through seven tiny little turnstiles it's going to take a long time and that was one of the main issues whilst they were doing this there was a big queue of of fans outside of the ground very very close to kickoff now obviously I've been to many football games up and down the country um, I was I'm a West Ham fan I live in Grimsby I've been to Grimsby games I've been to West Ham games and originally I'm from a little town just north of London called Watford and I have been to local games in Watford so I have traveled to a few games around the country and you will normally arrive at the ground with about half an hour to spare now that's a normal time frame half an hour if you really want to push it 45 minutes if you're feeling lucky 15 minutes you can normally get into a ground and sat or in this this instance stood into the ground within about a 15 minute time frame so a lot of the Liverpool fans at around half past two were starting to make their way to the ground 
the slow stream of fans into the ground was becoming a problem. Uh, you know, at, at about half past two, there were only around four thousand fans in that end, uh, leaving around six six and a half thousand fans outside the ground, with only half an hour to kick off and trying to get through seven turnstiles. It's not going to happen before kickoff. This is an FA Cup semi-final. This is a big game. This is a game that every fan who wants, who is a Liverpool fan, wants to be at. They want to see that game, and they want to get into the ground. And the problem they have is, if you ever look at the back of Hillsborough and you ever have a look at the back of the Leppings Lane end, there is one entrance in the middle. Now there are two side entrances. However. As soon as you go into that ground, you do not see the side entrances. You only see the one entrance right in the middle. And that entrance leads you into what were known as pens. So in this era in British football, uh, Britain was known, or England, let's say, was known as hooligans. They were known as troublemakers and they were known for fighting and having problems with pretty much every single club up and down the country. This wasn't a Liverpool issue, this was a England issue at the time. England fans were very violent uh, and they, they got a, a name for themselves as hooligans. And in response to that, a lot of grounds used to pen in the fans, so they would cage them in. Now, this might seem a little bit strange, um, but it was quite common for grounds to have fences around the fans to stop the fans from getting on the pitch, to stop them from jumping over to attack the police or jumping over to attack other fans and things like that. So it wasn't an uncommon sight to see pens like this at a football ground. However, the problem with... Hillsborough and the pens there were there were two pens on either side and two pens in the middle and pens three and four are notorious for this story the middle entrance into the Leppings Lane end led you into two pens now bearing in mind unless you knew the ground you wouldn't see the side entrances or unless you were there in enough time to notice the side entrances a lot of these fans were late not on purpose they were outside the ground for half an hour 40 minutes before kickoff but due to the the way the police had dealt with getting the getting them through the turnstiles due to the slowness of that fans wanted to see the game they wanted to get in they wanted to see their team in an FA Cup semi-final and when you go into that ground in a rush, the first thing you notice is the one entrance that is visible to you. And that is the entrance into pens three and four. Now, the problem with these pens is each pen was individually caged. So you had cages left, right, and at the front near the pitch. There was a gate that would allow you to move between pens however this gate was right at the back near the far wall therefore if you were at the front and your pen was getting crowded and you wanted to go into a different pen you had to walk backwards through the crowd right to the back wall and then across 
to the, the extra pens. There was no other way of doing it. Other than that, you were stuck in the middle of that pen and there was nothing you could do. You couldn't get out. Now, in between these pens, or on these pens, sorry, were standing rails. Now, these standing rails are basically a bar that is probably about three foot high, which is just something for people to lean on whilst they stood there watching the game. Now, there was quite a few of these, maybe sort somewhere between five and ten in each pen, um, and they were spread out sporadically. Um, throughout for just for the fans to lean on due to the pressure of of the fans coming into the ground one of those actually broke which meant a lot of fans then fell forwards and were ultimately crushed to death from the from the pressure coming in now what actually happened was around 22 20 to 3 the police opened one of the exit gates on the Leppings Lane end. Now, the reason they did that was to allow the fans to come into the ground before kickoff. The fans who were outside the ground to allow them to come in. Now, that seems like a sensible suggestion. However, like I said before, when they came into the ground, the first thing they saw were was this this pen was this one entrance and there was no guides there there you know nowadays you you go to a football ground and you've got 20 30 stewards stood there in bright high vis jackets pointing fans to where they need to go this wasn't happening there was none of that and the fans went into the ground as they would to watch their team play now these two pens right in the middle were getting fuller and fuller and fuller and when kickoff came there were still fans outside the ground who still hadn't got in so you can imagine being there as a fan you are eager to get in you've bought a ticket you've waited probably months to go to Sheffield which is where this ground is to watch your team in an FA Cup semi-final you then get there to find out that you've got to queue for hours to get into the ground when you don't have to do that at any other grounds throughout the country you know you could turn up 15 minutes before a game and get in but at Hillsborough on this day they couldn't they were being hoarded like animals into into these pens and what happened was six minutes into the game the referee realised obviously something was going wrong very very badly in these pens, people were climbing over the pens onto the pitch and the referee stopped the game 5 minutes and 20 seconds however into that game there was a wonderful corner and a beautiful volley from Beardsley a Liverpool football player that hit the crossbar now however many of you have been to a football game there is a hell of a lot of noise and a lot of cheering when something like that happens. If that ball had hit the back of the net, the death toll at Hillsborough would have been a lot more than 96. Uh, obviously, luckily, the, the ball didn't hit the back of the net. Otherwise, it, this would have been a far worse story than what it is. 
Now, the problem with Hillsborough, that, that's pretty much the story. Um, and 96 fans, like I said, lost their lives, the youngest of which was 10 years old. So that's just to give you an idea of these weren't hooligans. These weren't fans who were out there having a fight. These these were general fans, you know, 10 years old, so, uh, a couple of couple of them were teenagers these were young people there were some obviously some older people who died there but you know the fact that there was there was youngsters there that that passed away um the problem with hillsborough as a story is the aftermath more than the actual story itself and the fact that it was so poorly policed it was so poorly worked it was not unheard of to postpone a football match by 15 minutes or 20 minutes just to allow fans to enter the ground. Had at any point the police decided to postpone the game by 15 minutes, this wouldn't have happened. Fans want to go and see their team. Fans want to watch their team. If they have to wait an extra 15 minutes so that the fans at the back of the queue can get in, they they would they would wait. They didn't do that and they carried on the game. Again, the opening of the exit gate to allow the fans to stream in. On the one hand, seems like a very sensible idea. There's a lot of fans outside the ground. They want to get in. Let's open the gate to let, allow them to come in. Again, the problem with that is you then need the police or the stewards inside that behind the stand to be ushering fans to the side entrances because the middle pens at the front were were full they were too full they you couldn't have got any more people in there but there was nobody directing the fans to the safer areas the the chief inspector at the time is a man named David Duckenfield and for some reason the man's been exonerated from all claims so i cannot comment on that and in regards to whether he was negligent or what because obviously the he was taken to court by the victims families from Hillsborough uh, and the jury came back with uh, they couldn't reach a verdict so he wasn't guilty or not guilty there was no no verdict whatsoever so um so it's open to interpretation however I cannot give my opinion on that because obviously it's a, a police investigation however I will give you the facts the fact is that game was poorly policed that game could have been postponed Those side gate, that side gate didn't need to be opened if they'd have postponed the game they could have opened more turnstiles they could have allowed the fans to go in through the side entrances by policing that correctly and more importantly than anything was the aftermath of the story now the aftermath is something that hit British football and is still hitting British football now and that is there is a newspaper in this country called The Sun now I was brought up with The Sun uh, being in London it's a very common newspaper however I have been to Liverpool and witnessed Liverpool fans burning, throwing away and 
doing anything they can to the Sun newspaper. Um, I've actually witnessed a Liverpool fan in an airport where the you know they they give away your free newspapers, and I've witnessed a Liverpool fan go up and pick up an entire stack of Sun newspapers and put them in the bin. And I never really understood why until I researched the story of Hillsborough. And that is the police reports from that day that were released to the newspapers. The newspapers ran with a story that it was the Liverpool fans that had done this and it was the Liverpool fans that had caused this tragedy. And they run with a story that they were drunk, that uh, they were there for a fight. There was a story saying that one of them had urinated on a copper. Another story said that uh, they pickpocketed the victims of the disaster that were laying on the floor. So, I mean, it, it was just, it was disgusting. And it took 23 years through court cases and things like that that the Liverpool fans had to go through to actually clear the name of the Liverpool fans and and the paper, The Sun, actually it took them 23 years to apologise for obviously what happened now The Sun wasn't the only newspaper that, that run with similar stories but the other newspapers apologised and obviously when they realised that they were, you know, accusing people of things that really they, they should never have been accused of, they they did actually apologise, whereas The Sun never did that. Now, on that basis, I now fully understand why The Sun has been vilified in Liverpool. Uh, and like I say, even to the point that you, you just, you can't even buy it in in the town and this is one of the biggest newspapers in the country you know it's one of the most famous newspapers in the country so you know for an entire town to boycott or I say a town sorry a city an entire city to boycott one of the biggest newspapers in the country um just just goes to show really you know what impact their their lies had on on this this community and you know a lot of the police reports had been changed there was a lot of a lot of blame was reflect deflected off the police onto the fans and this is why this disaster has become such a a big thing in this country is obviously you know the the fans who went to the game now i don't have any figures but i do have a few friends who are big big liverpool fans uh friends who have actually known people who went to that that game in particular who have who have taken their own lives from the tragedy you know from the the effects of that and the effects of you know for 23 years being called a murderer because that's how Liverpool fans were were seen for a long time in this country and you know I think it goes to show the strength of Liverpool as a city and you know coming from London London is very here there and everywhere there are a lot of different communities in London there are a lot of different uh, different football teams in London and there are a lot of it there's not a I don't think London really has a sense of community and I think if they had picked on a, a London club for example about this I don't think 
there would have been as much of an uproar from the fans. I think they would have just sort of knuckled under and, and just ignored it. But I really do think that the police, the newspapers, the justice system in this country, I, I think they uh, they picked on the wrong team and they, they certainly picked on the wrong city because Liverpool as a city is a community. It's not just, you know, there are only two two football teams in Liverpool and, you know, it's that, they do have that rivalry, but even to the extent of the city itself, they they have that pride and they have that um, that ability to to come together as a community. And I think really they they picked they picked on the wrong team and they picked on the wrong fans to to vilify in this situation. And that's why, like I said, Hillsborough has become such a huge thing in this country and such a big tragedy that uh, you know really we, we should never forget it and you know as as horrible as it is there are still images and, and videos out there that you you can watch if you uh if you have the stomach to watch them so that was just a, a handful of sporting tragedies that that have uh plagued the world i mean there, there are many many more um that could have been covered but obviously we don't get that much time to cover it's possible that uh, at a later date if uh, this is a successful episode then uh, I will do another one that covers different types of tragedies so if you do know any any sporting tragedies that you you know you think should have been covered or you'd like to see covered in a, a part two episode of this then you know send them send them across to me and we'll we'll try and get them out for you so you know you can you can email them to me at twihpod at gmail.com or like I said, you can get us on the Facebook group, which is This Week in History, uh, just on Facebook. If you type that in, it will come up with us. So, you know, thank you for listening, everyone, this week. Uh, obviously, like I said, I do apologise again for the lateness of this episode. And uh, we'll try and get as many out as, as we can coming forward. And again, just to those of you who are interested, we have started Patreon now. And we have started those uh, online uh, on, on Patreon.com type in this week in history and it will come up there is only one episode up there at the moment and hopefully there'll be a part two to winston churchill going up very soon so just so you all know thank you for listening and remember everyone we all have history so make yours great in the heat of the moment you're not just keeping it calm you're keeping it cool too with an ice cold cold brew and not just any cold brew but one that's slow steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. At Progressive, you can get 24-7 protection, even if you break the space-time continuum. We did it. We time traveled to yesterday. Wait, Progressive covers us 24-7, but we just created an eight-day week, and it's 24-7 coverage, not 24-8. We gotta go back. Are you joking right now? Shh, I'm calling them. Hi, I have a question about time travel. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means anytime. 
Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Geico presents Daily Affirmations. Repeat after me. Our thoughts are like the ocean. Our thoughts are like the ocean. Our thoughts create our reality. Our thoughts create our reality. We're thinking Geico offers claim service 24-7 with personalized attention from an assigned team. Geico offers claim service? Um, I-, I wasn't thinking that. We think it and it becomes our reality. So, uh, what about washboard abs? Just give it a go. Think really hard. Okay, abs, abs. Yep, keep thinking. To manifest more Geico in your life, go to geico.com.